What is going on? Happy Tuesday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110 WBT. Just devastating news for the uh, the brother of CNN host Chris Cuomo. Just devastating for Chris's brother. Yeah, he was. Did you know Chris Cuomo was actually one of the team of advisors? Now it's time to play everyone's favorite game. What if it was a Republican? <laughs> Can you imagine? Do you remember all of the outrage over Sean Hannity and his um, his late night conversations on the phone with Donald Trump? Do you remember that big story? Oh, it was huge. Hannity would like every night after he would get done with his TV show on Fox, right? He would get a call or he would place a call to President Trump and they would chat. I don't know what about probably stuff that Hannity did on his show. You know, Trump probably gave him, you know, pointers about how to improve. And <laughs> but I don't know. But whatever it was, this was like this was beyond the pale. You know, Sean Hannity needs to register as a lobbyist now in all of this. But Chris Cuomo, who actually would bring his brother on the air to joke about, you know, mom loved you best in true Smothers Brothers fashion um, and, and, and like bust out the, the big prop of the, the Q-tip that's as big as Cuomo's head. Like this is what Chris Cuomo was doing on CNN that we saw. What was he doing behind the scenes? Well, according to the report by the New York Attorney General's private lawyer team that she put together to do this investigation of Andrew Cuomo, that we just heard the news conference. Is that still going on? It says live CNN. That's not live, though. That was last hour. Come on, get it together, CNN. They got the live thing in the bottom right to let you know that they're live right now, which, I mean, of course they're live right now, right? Don't you just automatically assume that the anchors are live? But then they showed some video from earlier, and I thought, oh, the one-hour-long press conference is not actually over. It's still going on. But no, it's over. Lasted an hour. But I've got the report. I have not read the entire report because I just got it, like, within the last hour, and it's 130-something pages Uh, But I can bring you some highlights, like, for example, as additional allegations of sexual harassment against the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, surf. And by the way, the reason why this is important is like people thinking, oh, well, why? What does this have to do with, you know, Charlotte? Well, aside from the fact that like half the population of New York now lives inside the city limits of Charlotte, aside from that, there is a there's a, a, a national implication here and I'll get to it. But. As additional allegations of sexual harassment against the governor surfaced in the spring of 2021, the governor's team of advisors from within and outside the chamber, the executive chamber, the governor's chamber, they had ongoing and regular discussions about how to respond to the allegations publicly. The group included, goes through this list of all these people, like director of communications and these other people, and then as well as the governor's brother, Chris Cuomo. You have a CNN anchor advising his brother, and this was known, by the way, so this is not, I'm I'm not, you know, uh, presenting this as if it's brand new information. We were aware that Chris Cuomo was acting as an advisor of some kind to his brother, that they would talk about this stuff. And at the time, CNN and Chris Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo and all the Democratic apologists and the media. But I repeat myself, they were like, it's okay. 
you know, it's just his brother. They're just chatting. And I mean, okay, so Chris Cuomo has some unique experience and expertise as a media person. So he, you know, can talk to his brother about how to respond to this stuff, right? And then, of course, CNN was like, now Chris Cuomo has said that he will no longer cover this story. Oh, okay. So when so when Andrew Cuomo was was killing the old people and being praised for his COVID response and held up as the leader while he was negotiating his $5 million book deal for his fantastic leadership during COVID, right? While that was going on, Chris Cuomo could have his brother on the show. He could cover that story. He could cover how awesome his brother was and how awesome his brother's uh, COVID response has been. But Andrew Cuomo gets in trouble. Andrew Cuomo does some bad things. Andrew Cuomo gets a little touchy-feely, right? Now, not more than a little, by the way. I've got, again, I've got the report. The allegations here are awful. But now Chris Cuomo doesn't have to talk about the story. Oh, because you know, he. oh, I just really want to cover this story so bad. I'm a news person. I feel like I got to go cover the news, but he's my brother. I can't do it. You can do it when it's a good story for your brother. You can do it when you're selling your brother's what, fourth term, trying to get the voters of New York to uh, to elect him for, to, because I think he's a three-termer now. And I don't think they're term-limited up there. Right, so this is where we are, by the way, in the Andrew Cuomo saga. Um, I am under no illusion that he's going anywhere. I, I, I do find it, like, people are like, oh, he's done, he's going to get charged. He's not, they're not recommending him for charges. This is, this is why I call it the Big D Shield, Right. The big Democrat shield, you get to put this thing up in front of you and it protects you from all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff. And remember, when COVID first hit, President Trump still in office and the person that the Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, put forward as the person to counter Donald Trump as the the protagonist to Donald Trump's antagonism. Right. The person that they framed in this passion play was Andrew Cuomo. He's the one doing it right. A brash New Yorker, just like Trump. This is what kills me, too. So many times Democrats bring forth these opponents to Trump who exhibit the very characteristics that they say they hate in Trump. (laughs) What? What? What is with that? What's the deal with that? Why are they bringing in Andrew Cuomo to be the guy who stands athwart Donald Trump, right? He's the guy that was going to take down Trump, and he was going to respond to COVID way better. And did he? No. And by the way, none of that stuff is going anywhere, apparently, right? He just skated on all of that. Courts were like, no, sorry, can't hold anybody accountable for, uh, you know, for their policies that killed tens of thousands of uh, elderly people in New York and New Jersey. So, sorry. But he's sexually harassing and assaulting women in the office and a state trooper, a state trooper that was on his security detail. I mean, that's. It's just stupid, first off, like, really, like, I'm thinking that is the stupidest thing in the world, because do you think now she may not take the bullet for you? You just gave her a whole bunch of reasons (laughs) to not do her job and save your life. It's just. These people, man.
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I am under no illusion here that Governor Andrew Cuomo is actually going anywhere. I know people think, oh, this is it. I'm not so sure. I really don't. I really don't believe it. Um, Here is from the report that was issued by the Attorney General's Office of New York. It says in one of the footnotes, footnote 1219, not kidding. It says, while concluding that the governor engaged in unlawful sexual harassment, we do not reach in this report a conclusion as to whether the conduct amounts to or should be the subject of criminal prosecution. He's not going anywhere. Why would he? Why would he? If he steps down, then what? He's still going to get sued because this this does allow for the avenue of civil prosecute or uh, uh, civil litigation, I should say. People can bring lawsuits against him. These women can bring lawsuits against him. But this does not indicate that this is leading to any kind of a criminal indictment of any kind. This is one of the benefits of being a Democrat. You don't get indicted for this stuff, apparently. I, this was, you know what I'm remembering is I, I was sitting in a newsroom watching James Comey do the press conference right before the 2020 election, or sorry, the 2016 election. And he's outlining all of the things that Hillary Clinton did. With the servers, and this is when, you know, they dismissed this as, oh, but her emails as some sort of, you know, condescending dismissal of the uh, severity of the, of her transgressions, right, with, with the emails. Oh, but her emails, you people are so crazy. You think that her emails, blah, blah, blah. It's not the emails. It's the server, guys. The, the existence of the server is the indictment. That's the scandal, the mere existence of the server itself. And when they they minimize it, that's why they they call it just her emails. It's not about the emails. The emails lived on a server that she controlled. And the only reason you would create a server would be to control the lives of the emails. That's it. You get to delete them when you want to. You get to. um, Did you just bring me a water? Producer Ryan, is that for me? Oh, it's for our guest. Wow, this is the first time I've had like a like a full on producer. He just brought a water bottle. I don't want a water, but thank you, I appreciate it. No, I don't want your water. Take it back. No, I don't want it. I'm just kidding. That was just for radio purposes. Take your water back, man. This it's too much. It's too much. Uh, But yes, we do have a guest coming in at two o'clock. It's Tark Bukhari. He's the uh, Charlotte City Councilman. We're going to talk a little non-discrimination ordinance. Um, but then this, you know, this broke. And I've got all sorts of audio from the Charlotte City Council meeting last night. I watched it so you don't have to. And oh, my gosh. Mind numbing. I covered City Council for a decade. I don't remember it being that excruciating. Just awful. you got to be able to run a better meeting than that. There's Come on. I'll get into that later. I, I will. I'll get into it in a bit. But I've got this um, this stuff from the uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, or, or this news conference that was done by the Attorney General of New York that says Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women in violation of state and federal laws 
as well as the executive chamber's own written policies. The bombshell report um, by a pair of attorneys selected by Attorney General Letitia James details cases of harassment by the governor that include unwanted groping, kissing, hugging, and inappropriate comments directed towards current and former employees. It also contends that Cuomo and his senior staff had retaliated against at least one former employee, fostered a toxic workplace that enabled the harassment to occur, and created a hostile work environment, much like I have just created with my producer. The report... (laughs) The report will undoubtedly lead to a new round of calls for the three-term governor to resign, as well as pressure on the state legislature to start up an impeachment process. Three words. Access Hollywood tape. (laughs) Do you remember that? I'm old enough to remember that. The Access Hollywood tape. This was, in and of itself, the disqualifying piece of information that we were supposed to have as to why Donald Trump could never be president. The, that tape. Now, that tape did not show any actual physical harassment, sexual harassment or anything. It didn't show that. That tape did not contain anything like um, the sexual harassment that Governor Cuomo was alleged to have done. Didn't contain any of that. It contained Donald Trump talking about how he would walk up to women and essentially grope them and they would be okay with it because he's famous. And anybody who really has any understanding of how Hollywood and like that whole entertainment complex, like how that operates, that was not a surprise. Was anybody really surprised that somebody who lives in that world, in that entertainment Hollywood world, that women just allow themselves and participate in this kind of activity? And guys like this, this kind of disgusting behavior exists. I was not surprised by that. No, I was not surprised by it. And he's bragging about it on the tape. That was what the Access Hollywood tape was, right? And this was what prompted all of the women of the left to march with the knitted caps on Washington, D.C., right? That was the reason. Then the nasty woman thing and Madonna talking about blowing up the White House, for which she was never prosecuted, like all of that stuff, Right. That came from the Access Hollywood tape, where Trump merely talked about, (laughs) merely talked about doing this kind of thing in a nasty, gross kind of way, right? Lecherous and whatever. It was skeevy. It was. It was skeevy. Now you got a guy, Andrew Cuomo, who's actually doing this stuff. And um, have I missed the press conference call for uh, for the, the pink hat wearing crowd? What am I missing? Have I missed that? Have I missed the, um, is there is there a call? No, I'm not seeing it. There's no press release here calling for a protest march. Nothing like that. Kind of curious. I am curious also what Bill de Blasio has to say about all of this. Curious about the news? Well, let's head on over to the News Center with Mark Muller. My clothes may still be torn and tattered. This is not Michael Bublé. Your love is all that ever matters. This is Tony Bennett. It's everything. 
I mean, because Andrew Cuomo in New York named today Tony Bennett Day because it's his birthday or something, right? So that's the important thing. That's the real news coming out of New York. It's it's Tony Bennett Day. That's right. All right. That's it. All right. Yes. Done. All right. But we will be giving away some Michael Buble tickets at some point in the program today. Not now, but at some point in, I saw that, I saw that phone line light up for like half a second. It's not right now. There it is. There it is. No, stop. Hang up on everybody. Uh, We'll give away the tickets at some point in the show. When we, when we play a Michael Buble song is when you need to be caller 11 And then if you're caller 11, then you get the tickets to an evening with Michael Buble on August 17th, 8 p.m. at the Spectrum Center, Charlotte. Good luck when we play the Buble song. All right. So uh, if you got kids in the car or whatever, uh, well, cover their ears unless you want them to hear some of the accusations that were made against Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, the person that was the guy that we needed to fight Donald Trump. He was the one. He was the guy who could take it to Trump and lead us through the COVID pandemic. Right? He was the person. Now, I have seen uh, I have seen some commentary to the effect that um, they don't need him anymore. They don't need Cuomo any longer because Trump is gone, and so they, they, can, they can toss him aside that they never liked him to begin with. And I can, by the way, attest to this for people who may not be aware. I'm originally from New York, and this is why I get to make all of the New York jokes that I want to, because I'm originally from New York. I left as quickly as I could. As soon as I got out of high school, I came down south. I went to Winthrop and Rock Hill, and I uh, never went back to live. Uh, Well, I went, okay, so I went back for the summer in the freshman year, and I just worked two jobs, made a bunch of money, and then came back. And then I never went back to ever live again. And uh, it's nice to visit. But, you know, nowadays with half of the state population here in North Carolina, like it's kind of like I'm it's kind of like New York followed me. You know, I'm not terribly happy about it either. At any rate, <laughs> I kid, I can see I can make all of the New York jokes I want. So um, you've got. uh Andrew Cuomo up there, I've, I, I've lost track of where I was going with that, but uh, Andrew Cuomo up there, he was the guy that was uh, supposed to be the foil for Donald Trump. But there were a lot of people up there, this is what I was going to say, is that there are a lot of people who don't like him. They really don't like Andrew Cuomo. And they put up with him because he was the anti-Trump. And I always found that to be kind of comical because he exhibits some of the things that they are so critical of Donald Trump for being right. This, you know, over the top, uh, you know, New York brash, uh, you know, larger than life personality kind of guy with the, you know, oh, you want to come after me? Like all of that kind of braggadocio. Like, uh, and it's very, it's a, it's a very New York caricature. Right. And so I just always found it funny. The same thing, by the way, with like Joe Biden, I, I find their similarity, he has similarities with Donald Trump. And I know Trump supporters are like, how dare you? But I do. Some of the things, because Joe Biden would do that same sort of shtick, right? I mean, he did it in a, like, a you know, 
four decades politician kind of sort of way, right? Where he's not really believable in his, hey, buddy, I'll take you out back. I'd beat you up. You know, and nobody really believes that he could, but he would engage in that kind of rhetoric. He was always that kind of guy. People just kind of forget about it now because he was the person they needed to take out Trump. So all things become acceptable when you need to take out Trump. This is why I've said for years, like people who go after Donald Trump for all of these things usually occupy no moral uh, high ground. They, they don't have a, a morally superior position, right? I mean, these were the people that were telling me that the Clintons were better than Donald Trump. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that deserves, absolutely. It's just ridiculous. That was just ridiculous. First off, they were friends for a long time. Right? I mean, the Clintons were at his wedding, right? Or did Trump go to Chelsea's wedding? Which was, it doesn't matter. Right? But they, they moved in the same circles. They knew the same people. Donald Trump was a Democrat for a very long time. So they were all, and he was in Hollywood and entertainment industry. And so there was a lot of crossed paths. But the pitch was Hillary Clinton and, you know, Bill Clinton by default, because we get their package deal. And so they were superior to Donald Trump. And that was laughable, right? That was, it was laughable ethically, um, but because that was what they were positioning her as, like she is the serious ethical leader, and that was just ridiculous. And then they were like, oh, look at his personal failings and such, and he's been married all these times, and, you know, he's a philanderer. Yeah, literally wrote a book about it. And uh, yes, that could all be the case, but um, have you seen your husband? Have you met your husband? He's, <laughs> and we know that she was involved in the cover-up too, right? The uh, With the eruptions and such, and the, that's what they called them. I didn't call them that. That's I'm sorry. It's not my, not my word for it. But the war room, that they were responding to all of these women that made all these accusations against Bill Clinton. And just in case there was any confusion as to whether or not the Democratic Party has disavowed itself of the Clintons. Like that was put to rest when they had Bill Clinton speak at the convention. <laughs> so they are not putting his uh, him and his legacy out to pasture. They're not uh, they're not disabusing themselves of him. Right? They're not. I should probably shouldn't say that word with him in the sentence. But whatever. Like they're not trying to do anything to make amends for that relationship. So, no, you do not occupy a morally superior position than the Republicans with Donald Trump. Sorry, you don't. Everybody's equal here. And Andrew Cuomo, with this latest development, is another case in point. The whole time you were telling us that you were better than Donald Trump and you were better than the supporters of Donald Trump, this has been your guy. Oh, and by the way, this is not new information. People have known this for a very long time. For years, people have known this. This, kind, this pattern of abuse that he's been engaged in has been going on for a long time. It's just now being investigated. Why? Well, no downside anymore for him. Now they're just going to burn him. They don't need him to take out Trump anymore. They don't need him to juxtapose against Trump's COVID response. Right? If anything, he's kind of messed that up. But with the whole book deal and the killing of the tens of thousands of people. Somebody who I... I don't believe we'd kill tens of thousands of people and then write a book about it <laughs> is Boomer Von Cannon with a check on traffic.
not Michael Bublé. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I guess I don't even need to say that because if you're interested in calling for the tickets to win, then you would know a Michael Bublé song. Unless you're one of those people that just calls radio stations to win the tickets. And there are people like that. Folks who are not in the radio biz are not aware that there are people that just do that. There are various names that the radio industry has applied to these people. I will not use these names. They're not exactly flattering. But... (laughs) uh, There's one of them. No, no, stop it. We're not giving away tickets right now. (laughs) Okay, uh... I do have some of the, um, well, I have the entire 100, oh, so 168-page report. We're going to read it in its entirety right now from the New York. No. This is 168 pages um, of grotesquerie from Governor Andrew Cuomo. I will give you the lowlights. The governor's sexually harassing conduct established during our investigation and described in greater detail in the factual findings of this report includes the following. Number one, executive assistant one. Since approximately late 2019, so late 2019, so before the pandemic hit, the governor engaged in a pattern of inappropriate conduct with this executive assistant number one, who is a woman. The pattern of conduct included close and intimate hugs, kisses on the cheeks, forehead, and at least one kiss on the lips. What executive office situation is any of that appropriate? What else? Uh, Touching and grabbing of executive assistant number one's butt during the hugs and on one occasion while taking selfies with him. Number four, comments and jokes by the governor about executive assistant number one's personal life and relationships, including calling her and another assistant mingle mamas. I have no idea what a mingle mama is. What is a mingle? I'm sorry. Am I jeopardizing the FCC license? I don't even know. I'm just going to assume it means what I think it. Well, let me see here. There is a footnote. Let me see if the footnote. Two witnesses we cite to the page line transcripts report also information obtained from interviews. Okay, so it just, all right, that does not tell me what a mingle mama is. And I apologize to the federales if if this term is a banned term on the FCC list. I, I have no idea. It's not even capitalized. Mingle mama. So I'm thinking it's like women who like to mingle (laughs) okay i don't i don't know what that means inquiring multiple times about whether she had cheated or would cheat on her husband and asked her to help him find a girlfriend you'll recall by the way at the beginning or maybe not you, you may not have known this um but i went down some dark paths at the beginning of the pandemic um interviewing people who they themselves went down these dark paths and then you know showed me where these paths were. And one of the dark paths was uh, how there was this sort of sexualization of Andrew Cuomo. They called him the love gov for real. Like there was some, like there was this, um, there was this effort on the left to make this guy into a sex symbol. 
And uh, I told you, see, pretty dark places. And this seems to me to be part and parcel of that story, right? You can only tell people that they're so fantastic and, oh, you're the love gov. Oh, he's so hot and he's saving everybody's lives. Like you can only do this stuff so often, right, before the people that are the subject of your praise start believing this garbage, right? Like This is why you end up with people who have been um, uh, surrounded by yes men or whatever, or they've been uh, surrounded by people who just keep telling them that they're, they're great, you know, all the time. The longer like a politician is in office, the more susceptible they they become to this kind of thinking. You know, uh, Hollywood people, same thing. And you're a star and everyone's like, oh, you're so fantastic. Here's a good example of it. When you're rich and famous, people give you stuff. Right. Remember, you know, these stories like uh, was it the Oscars where they go and they get the awards and then they get these baskets or bags or whatever. And these things are worth tens of thousands of dollars. And these are all just gifts that the famous people get. And every single one of those people can afford to buy this stuff themselves. But they don't. They don't have to. They just get, they get it as gifts. People give away free stuff to famous and rich people. I'm not sure why. When you're poor, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get then nothing. You're not getting anything from me. Like this... I don't understand this dynamic at all. It's like, I'm going to do you a solid. Oh, no, it's fine. It's one of the perks of being rich. You don't pay for stuff. I don't understand it, but this is apparently what happens. Um, There were comments and jokes made by the governor, blah, 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 during another close hug. Oh, yeah. So um, there was an incident at the executive mansion November 2020 when the governor, during another close hug with executive assistant number one, reached under her blouse and grabbed her breast for over three months. She kept this incident to herself and she planned to take it to the grave. She said, but she found herself becoming emotional in a way that was visible to her colleagues in the executive chamber while watching the governor's state at a press conference on March 3rd, 2021, that he had never quote touched anyone inappropriately. People always do themselves in. Right. The own worst enemy, the, the hubris of these people, they think this is sociopathic behavior is what it is. They think they cannot get caught. Right. This guy did this thing, allegedly did this thing. And then he gets on TV and he says, I never did this kind of thing. And his victim cannot control her emotions. She starts tearing up or she starts getting she starts crying or whatever. I don't know to what extent, but it was a way that was visible to her colleagues who then, you know, What's going on? Tell us what happened. And like, that's it. And that's what blows this thing open. (laughs) His own mouth, because he went out and he said this thing that wasn't true. She then confides in some of her colleagues who in turn report her allegations to senior staff. Then there is the state trooper, state trooper number one. In early November, uh, November 2017, so four years ago almost, the governor briefly met a New York state trooper at an event on the RFK Bridge, also known as the Triborough Bridge, which it'll always be the Triborough Bridge to me. After meeting Trooper One, he spoke with a senior member of his protective detail about seeking to have Trooper One join the protective services unit that is in charge of protecting him, right? Trooper One then got hired, despite not meeting the requirement to have at least three years of state police service 
in order to join this detail. So he got her the gig. He wanted her to be close to him. And in an email shortly after the RFK bridge event, this person that Cuomo had talked to about getting her the job, um, attaching a vacancy notice with a two-year service requirement as opposed to three years, says they just changed the minimum from three years to two just for you. After she joins, the governor then sexually harasses her on a number of occasions, running uh, running his hand across her stomach from her belly button to her right hip, running his finger down her back from the top of her neck to the middle of her back, saying, hey, you, kissing her and only her on the cheek in front of another trooper, making sexually suggestive and gender-based comments, including asking her to help him find a girlfriend, um, and describing his criteria for a girlfriend as someone who, quote, can handle pain. <laughs> Skeevy. Charlotte, looking at a new non-discrimination ordinance that happened last night. I watched it so you didn't have to. I did bleed a little bit from the eyeballs and ears. I'm okay, though. Excruciating. Um, Also, in about an hour, we're going to have Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari join us to talk about it. Um, I've got some of the audio, pulled some of the audio clips from the work session, and I will play them. Just the highlights. It's not going to be bad, people. I swear. It's just the highlights. So this way you'll be informed, you know, because uh, that's what we do here. I'm a giver. Speaking of giving, you want to do it now? Let's say, yeah, yeah let's do it now. I thought I thought of every possibility. This is Michael Buble. He of the Water Empire. News to... If you call now at uh, 704-570-1110 and you are the 11th caller, you'll get a pair of tickets to see Michael Buble, August 17th, 8 o'clock p.m. at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, 704-570-1110. Good luck to all of, what do you call them, Buble heads? Buble heads? Is that what uh, fans of Michael Buble are called? Well, like, like the Grateful Dead, deadheads, or widespread panic, spreadheads, or... Fish heads for fish. Um, well, that's really, that's that's the whole universe of heads that I, yeah. So, buble heads actually makes some bit of sense. You you could actually market those too. Like with, like the bobble heads, right? Just take the idea. It's free. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to claim any rights to the idea. Somebody's probably already done it. Um, before I get to the non-discrimination ordinance, a couple things real quick. I see... This is from, hang on, I just lost the tweet. Michael Hyland from CBS 17 reporting that the governor will increase the value of the bribery cards from $25 up to $100 if you get a vaccine. So they were giving out the $25 cash cards to get vaccinated. He says this is going to get raised to $100. Which I thought that the I thought the twenty five dollars well I guess it was for people who got vaccinated but also for people who drove people to get vaccinated. I'm not sure if this applies 
to the people who are doing the the driving. So if you are acting as sort of a vaccine Uber, um, then or a vac a, a vaxi, like a vaccine taxi, you'd be a vaxi. I'm not because like if you're getting a hundred dollars per person that you drive to get a vaccine, like this could be a pretty lucrative side hustle. I might start doing this. A hundred dollars? Just start randomly picking people up off the street, dropping them off at some vaccine center, take my hundred dollar gift card. Got a couple ideas. Yeah, I'm gonna so like I'm gonna run a vaxi and I'm gonna run a uh I'm going to run the show. Oh, my gosh. CNN is now showing pictures of Andrew Cuomo kissing all sorts of people. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. So the other side side hustle I was thinking is I could be the chaperone at Concord Mills for all of the young people. You know, like I'll, I will I'll act as like the shepherd bringing them into the mall because <laughs> they they instituted the uh, <laughs> the curfew. Not allowed in unless you have an adult with you. I am an adult. I can be with you for a price. All righty. Well, what else? The mayor, this is hilarious. The mayor of D.C., Bowser is her name, right? She issues the mask mandate for D.C. And then somebody goes in and busts her at a wedding that she officiated at or she was present at. I think she officiated at this wedding. And there were like hundreds of people there and uh, she was not masked up. You know what the response is, what their reaction to this story is? I think the Washington Examiner did the story. You know what the reaction is from the mayor's office? It is, that reporter was not invited to the wedding. That's it. That's the whole, that's that's their excuse. (laughs) How dare this reporter engage in an act of journalism and get into the wedding to take the pictures of the mayor not abiding by her own order? Uh, by the way, Barack Obama, former president, doing his 60th birthday party at Martha's Vineyard. There's like 700 people invited to that. Meanwhile, they're locking down all sorts. China's locking down, which is weird because I thought China was like the model country in its response to COVID. Right. I thought they handled it better than anybody else, except, of course, Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, China was they. Yeah, remember all the media people? They were like, "Oh my gosh, if only we could be just a little bit more like China." Their tyranny. I mean, it may be terrible for the Uyghurs in their concentration camps and all, but if you want to knock out a pandemic, man, those commies are pretty good. Their system works really well when you're trying to weld people into their apartments to keep them socially distant, right? So what's going on now? There's another outbreak in China where they're locking cities down again. Why would they be doing that? I thought they beat it. Just throwing this out there. Not a scientist, but there's a word I've seen referenced by actual scientists here. Maybe we keep this word in mind. You ready for it? Here it is. Seasonality. Seasonality. I've said too much. Uh, What else have we got? Oh, you've got all of these businesses now that are going to require vaccinations. And if you don't get the vaccine, they're going to jab a swab up into your brain to test for the COVID once a week, right? That's, that, that's the trade-off. So get the vaccine or we're going to swab your nose, uh, you know, all the way up there and get the, uh, why haven't they come up with the cheek swabs by now? What's the deal there? Are we, are you telling me we still haven't figured out a less invasive way <laughs> to get this, uh, the, to get the specimens? It seems odd. 
Red Ventures in Fort Mill. They've got a unique idea here. I thought the Charlotte Observer reported that uh, they're going to separate their schedules. So the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, they're going to have two different schedules. So if you are vaccinated, you go to work at some one time. And then if you're unvaxxed, you go to work at some other time. So they keep them separated, which I hear you got to do that. But um, you keep all these folks separated. Who gets the better shift? Like, what if I want to work second shift, but that's where the unvaccinateds are? So I can't work second shift because I'm vaccinated. Like, can I go and, like, say, hey, I would like to work with the unvaccinated? Could I do that if I wanted a different shift? Because obviously if I'm unvaccinated and I want a better shift that the vaccinated people are on, I could just get vaccinated and then I can get on that shift. But if I want to go the other direction, I can't. It feels kind of discriminatory. Speaking of which, we're going to talk about the non-discrimination ordinance in a minute. But first, we're going to hear about the traffic from Boomer Von Cannon. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So apparently, Governor Andrew Cuomo just did a... He just did some, I don't know if it's a news conference, his response. This is Beckett Adams live tweeting it. I did not see it. I apologize. But he says, Cuomo at his response presser right now claims that this whole report is false and that all of the accusers are lying. He Cuomo explaining he takes sexual assault very seriously because a family member of his has experienced it. Quote, They heard things that I just didn't say. He's just flat out, nope, didn't say, of the woman who alleges Cuomo groped her. He says, quote, let me be clear, that never happened. He complains about trial by newspaper and biased reviews. He says, Cuomo on the New York Times publishing a picture of him giving a woman an unwanted kiss. Quote, that is not front page news. Cuomo also claims he learned to grab women and kiss them from his mother, saying it conveys warmth. He claims he kisses everyone, black, white, straight, LGBTQ, just everybody. So he's like, he's a pansexual. He's a, he's, he's pan kisser. He's a pan kisser. <laughs> he's a, <laughs> this is his response. I do kiss people on the forehead. I do kiss people on the cheek. I do kiss kiss people on the hand. I now understand there are generational or cultural perspectives that I didn't know about. Wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. You did not know that you should not be kissing young women on the cheek in the office when they work for you. That was a generational thing? Really? How old is this guy? Like 200? Seriously, how old is this guy? That's never been okay. Not at least in my lifetime. I have brought in an expert to design new sexual harassment policies <laughs> and procedures. He's, <laughs> he's going to write, okay, so he's, that's the problem. It was the rules. I didn't know the rules. My bad. I totally didn't know these rules. I'm not supposed to run my finger down a woman's neck in the elevator. That's that's not, oh, well, it wasn't in the rules. I didn't know that. So he, I guess he needs like a very specific list of things he's not allowed to do to other people 
<laughs> and if it's not on that list, well, then by golly, by gosh, he's allowed to do it. What else am I to discern here? Oh, I'm not supposed to fondle women. I'm not supposed to grab them like that in an office environment. I'm not supposed to uh, kiss them. And, uh, oh, I, I, oh, my bad. See, I totally didn't know that. It wasn't on the list. But we're bringing in a consultant. He did some work for, uh, I think, his last client, a guy by the name of, uh, what was it, H. Weinstein. That was all they would tell me. And so uh, this person's going to drop a whole list of things, and these are the things that we're not allowed to do. <laughs> when... He says, when have you ever seen male managers maligned for working long hours or being tough? I have no idea what that is a reference to. <laughs> this guy's, this guy, uh, so Beckett Adams says, this is an insane presser. Yes, it sounds like it. Politics and bias are interwoven throughout every aspect of this situation. Cuomo says, one would be naive to think otherwise, and New Yorkers are not naive. Cuomo suggests some of his accusers are doing it for publicity and scolds them for doing a disservice to the real victims. Cuomo now reminding everybody that COVID is still around. <laughs> That's right. What is that a threat? Wait a minute. Is that a threat? You threatening me, Cuomo? It sounds like a threat. Considering <laughs> his past experience, it sounds like a threat. Was Como trying to prove that he's an equal opportunity sexual harasser with Yes. I cannot Oh, oh my gosh. So when I looked up earlier and I saw CNN was showing these images of Cuomo kissing men. That was from his press conference. That was his defense. He's like, "Look, I kiss dudes too." <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is <laughs> I this could be, wait a minute, like this could be a whole new ball game in the Me Too movement. This could be it, right? This could be the way that these guys accused of these grotesque behaviors, this could be the way that they stay in office, right? Just like uh, the Virginia governor and the Virginia lieutenant governor, right? Those two guys, like they all got to stay in office, well, they were just Democrats, so that's that's why they're still in office. Yeah, so that that, that is still that is still the best surefire way to keep your job in politics is to be a Democrat. And then you could do like all of this stuff. We found his denials to lack credibility and to be inconsistent with the weight of the evidence obtained during our investigation. We also found the governor's denials and explanation around specific allegations to be contrived. Yeah, he's a sociopath. <laughs> he's lying. That's why it sounds like he's lying. Like, guys, there's a perfectly reasonable and rational explanation for why his story sounds like garbage. It's because it is. That's, it is garbage. Let me go over here to Chip. Hello, Chip. What's going on? Hello, Pete. Hello. Yes. Hi. Uh, uh, I think Cuomo has employed the uh, George Costanza defense. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I don't know if you remember, remember the episode where George had sex with the uh, cleaning lady at his right, desk. Right. Was I not supposed to do that? Yeah. <laughs> because if I if I had known that, right. I would certainly not have done it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You're doing a great job. All right. Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. That was the uh, that is the George Costanza defense. It is literally the Costanza defense. Dean, welcome to the show. What's up? 
No, I was going to volunteer for the Como instructional video. <laughs> you said he kisses men. Uh, never mind. Thank you, Dean. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, look, look. I mean, come on. You can't say I'm a harasser. I kiss everybody. I kiss dudes on the forehead and the cheek and the hand and the lips. I, you know, I'm groping everybody I come in contact with. Come on. Is that not is that not allowed? Maybe if there was a list. I need a list. I'm going to hire a consultant. Okay. All right. Fine. I'm going to hire a consultant. They're going to come in here. They're going to tell me these are all the things I'm not allowed to touch on another human being. Okay. That's going to solve the problem for us. All right. Are you happy? Is everybody happy now? Can I go back to killing people in the nursing homes? Thank you very much. I've got a state to murder. <laughs> Tell you, people wonder, like, man, you just talk about politics all the time. Doesn't it ever get boring? No, it doesn't. <laughs> all right, uh, let's have. It is quite the novel defense. I could not possibly have sexually harassed all of these other women because here are pictures of me sexually harassing other people too. <laughs> that is that, not my argument. Again, like I'm reminded once again, I believe it was the prosecution in the Ray Carruth capital murder trial where they said, look, we recognize this is, was a terrible plan. And you're on the jury and you're thinking to yourself, you can't seriously be telling us this is the plan. This plan doesn't make any sense. And like, we agree. It was not our plan. This was his plan. He came up with this plan, not us. Well, that's, that's apparently Cuomo's plan. I'm just relaying it to you. I don't understand. Well, I do. <clears throat> I can tell you. <clears throat> This is how bad it is that that's the best response they could come up with. <laughs> they like, we got no other way to handle this except, of course, the fallback position, which would be, you know, yes, I did these things. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I resign. I'm out. But he, he's not going to do that. I don't think his sociop uh, sociopathic personality allows for that. So he's not going to do it. So uh, this is the only other course they can take. And, uh, Yikes. <laughs> this is very bad. Very, very bad. All right. Uh, let's shift gears because at 2 o'clock we're going to have Tark Bakari in studio. And um, last night, the uh, the uh, Charlotte City Council, I did it. I finally did it. Did you hear what I almost said? It's, uh, it was bound to happen at some point. I spent eight years making fun of the Asheville City Council. And I almost said Asheville when I meant Charlotte. Although... Honestly, I got to tell you, they're they're getting kind of indiscernible at this point. I'm I'm not sure you're aware. I am. I can tell you, um, yeah, a lot of the same ideas and a lot of the same behaviors being displayed in Charlotte City government as was on display in the Asheville City government. Just a heads up. Anyway. For the first time this year, city council members publicly deliberated on a potential expansion to its non-discrimination ordinance for Charlotte. Nearly eight months since the city gained the authority 
to more broadly protect its residents. I am curious, uh, because this is the story out of the Charlotte Observer by Allison Kuznets and Devna Bose. They say, by next week, Charlotte is slated to become the latest city to expand what is known as an NDO, non-discrimination ordinance, after five years without local LGBTQ protections. I am curious. This might be a good follow-up idea for somebody in a newsroom. You're looking for a story to pitch to the assignment desk. You know, you got to pitch stories. Always got to have some stories. So here's a story idea. Not that the assignment desk will ever let you pursue it, but if you need an idea just to throw out to feed the beast, um, how about this? How many... How many people have actually suffered from discrimination during this time period? The five years, as they say, five years without local LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus protections. How many people have actually suffered discrimination under this or in this time frame? Just an idea, story lead, right? Just an idea. You could take a look at that. Uh, but now they're racing to get this thing done, trying to stick to an August 9th vote. And this was evident in the discussion last night, although uh, Mayor Vi Lyles, uh, she made some comments about how, like, you know, well, we have this commitment to get this thing done by the 9th, and, but, you know, commitments can be broken. Not that she wants to, but that, you know, th- this is what they were aiming for, but if it doesn't work, it, it might not work. And I'm, look... I've covered these, you know, local government meetings for a long time. And I mean, I remember Mayor Lyles when she was an assistant city manager. That's when I was like, and I still think, by the way, all right, this is just an aside. This is more process and format and whatever. Take it from where it's coming from. Like, what do I know? But um, these meetings need to be run better. <laughs> I'm sorry. They, they need to be run better. And I think maybe it's, it might be part of Mayor Lyles's, uh, experience as you know, a city government employee, where she was up there dealing with you know the Charlotte City Council members who were essentially you know it was a council manager form of government. It is in North Carolina, and so when she was assistant manager, she would kind of run her presentation, whatever the portion of the meeting was that she was in charge of, and she was you know kind of shepherding a particular policy or whatever, and then she was trying to get clarity from all of the council members on you know what course to take so she could take it. And I think she tries to do that while she runs the meetings. And um, it doesn't work very well. It, it does because she ends up restating and rephrasing everything that a council member says. And it's not necessary. In fact, it just creates more confusion. These are all grown adults. They are elected officials. Let them say what they're going to say. And then that's it. They're going to make a comment. They're going to ask a question. They're going to make a statement. Or in the case of uh, Braxton Winston, he's going to make a 20-minute campaign speech. Is that all the guy does? I'm just curious. Like, I'm I, I'm just trying to get my footing here because I've been away for a while. <laughs> but he was engaging in, like, this cross-examination of the city attorney and the city manager. Would you say this? Would you say that? Are you aware? Has the city done this? And the and all of it was just because he wanted to get to a point where he could say Charlotte and North Carolina and America are inherently structurally racist. That was it, which, dude, you didn't need to do a whole 15 minute Q&A to state that opinion. 
We all are aware of your opinion about the structural inherent racism in society. We all get it. We know your we know the CRT in, you know, uh, infused argument you're making. We get it. Now, did I need to sit through 15 minutes of you asking ridiculous questions? Because they were ridiculous. Because the answer to every single question that he asked was essentially, no, the Charlotte City Council has not adopted a resolution that says that. And all of that is information that is publicly available. <laughs> so he was just doing it for political grandstanding purposes or if I'm being charitable, to educate the public that's watching. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. That's Stevie Wonder. Or no, is this the Stevie Ray Vaughan? Okay. All right. I've got some audio here from the Charlotte City Council that a uh, meeting that occurred last night where they've discussed the non-discrimination ordinance. And uh, I'm going to skip ahead here to, let's see, well, let, let's give it a whirl. We'll see if they play. Uh, this is, as I mentioned earlier, Councilman Braxton Winston. He spent like 15 to 20 minutes questioning the city attorney and the city manager um, about whether the city has ever adopted resolutions in support of or against racism. All right. Take a, we'll take a listen here. Maybe. Let's see. So I, I would posit that the legal system of both the state of North Carolina and the United States of America is a, prox, is a proxy for de jure discrimination laws, discriminatory laws and policies. Um, nowhere is that more clear than the ability for people to find housing um, after they have been a, 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 a convicted of a crime. While we are all subject to the effects of the criminal legal system, there is no question that, dis that it disproportionately targets and negative negatively affects black people. Uh, the city council, I believe, uh, should adopt a resolution that acknowledges the de facto, race the de facto racist systems of the North Carolina and United States legal systems. The council should resolve that using a, a person's interaction with the legal systems of, the, of North Carolina and the United States to discriminate against housing individuals who would otherwise be eligible to be rented or sold uh, a, a place uh, or, or, or sold a place to live. Um, if this body acknowledges the existence of the violation of rights of protected people, then we have the mandate and duty to protect our citizens. I think that is the bridge uh, that, that we can get to uh, that, that, that acknowledges similarly uh, to how we are, um, uh, how the, the, uh, the discrimination um, around hair, natural hair, um, relates to, to, to race. I think that's how we get there to make sure that people who, who have paid their debt to society um, cannot be discriminated against. Um, when it comes to housing. We know that this is, is, is an issue. We know that this is a problem. Um, and we know uh, that the, whether this, although this body has yet to acknowledge it, um, that the criminal justice system yeah. um, has is being used as a de facto um, racist policy in, in this state and this country. Um, and if, if we're going to do this, I, I say uh, we, we do this with as much force as possible. All right. All right. So... What is he talking about? Well, you've got race, sex, ethnicity. Um, those are the two or the three, well, it's race and ethnicity. These are the big headings. And so what the 
city attorney advised was if we just kind of using this uh, uh, previous Supreme Court ruling, the Bostock ruling, if we if we just kind of assume that natural hair discrimination based on natural hair, such as, you know, afros or uh, uh, dreadlocks and such, um, if we just assume that race encompasses natural hair, then we don't actually have to craft a specific ordinance for the natural hair. Right? It's kind of a it's a clever way to get around it. We just kind of lump a whole bunch of things into an already designated protected class. And in this case, uh, the natural hair component would be part of race, just like they're going to do with the lumping of uh, gender identity and expression into the category of sex, which is it's kind of confusing, I understand, but one of the things you need to realize in the discourse about uh, gender identity expression and all that is that sex and gender are not the same thing unless we need them to be in order to advance a particular agenda. And that agenda being sex and gender are different things, right? So when sex and gender are different, we say they're different, but if we need them to be the same in order to get around some law, well, then we can make them the same. This is how lawyering is done nowadays. So you've got gender expression, gender identity, sexual orientation. That's all included in the umbrella of the word sex when talking about non-discrimination. You cannot discriminate against somebody based on sex. Now, when the people who wrote that law were writing that law, they were writing that law so you couldn't discriminate based on male or female. They used sex as gender. That's the way they understood sex. They meant biological sex. And back then, gender was assumed to be just a synonym for sex, right? People assumed those two words were the same. My entire life, I never knew that gender and sex were different until within the last, what, six years or so. HB2 taught us all that. Gender and sex are different. So, okay, so now they're different. But the law doesn't include gender. And, gosh, you know what? It's going to be a hassle to try to pass a law that has gender listed separately because those evil Republicans, they won't they won't bend on this. Right. They're not going to say gender identity is a protected class. They're 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 not too cool with this idea being put into a piece of legislation. Of course, every single Democrat would be cool with this, but we don't want to test them either. We don't want to put anybody on the record, particularly in like maybe some swing state areas or uh, some uh, some districts that may have been pro-Trump, you know. So we don't want to test them, put them on the record either. So we'll just blame Republicans and say it's all their fault. We we won't run these bills uh, and, and try to change the law. So we'll just kind of throw gender identity into the category of sex and takes care of that problem. Look at us. Aren't we so smart? So what does Braxton Winston say? Well, how about we include... Prison sentences, convicted felon statuses, right? Why don't we include that under, he says, this is him saying this, not me. He says we should put that under the category of race. Which to me sounds kind of racisty. That you would assume a prison record with race. I... That this was his proposal. This is not my proposal. I'm not the one saying this. He's the one that said this. He's the one who says, let's put that into the in that category. 
But I understand the tactic he's trying to employ. He's using the exact same tactic that's being employed for the gender identity into the sex category or the uh, natural hair into the race category. I understand the tactic. It makes sense. But it does kind of smack of racism. When he's <laughs> now, that being said, he does not want to see none of the Republicans or uh, Democrats on the council. None of them wanted to see partisan affiliation, political affiliation included in any of the non-discrimination ordinance. They all voted against that because Councilman Tark Bakari said, hey, why don't we put in political affiliation? We'll stick that in there, too. So this way you can't fire people because of the politics that they engage in. If they go to a protest march or something, you can't fire them for that. And Democrats were like, no, we want to be able to fire people who go to a MAGA rally. We want very much to be able to fire people and maybe even keep them from, you know, uh, getting housing if they are uh, if they're Republicans or Trump supporters. We're totally fine with that. They obviously didn't articulate this argument, but this is the position. So what they are saying is that somebody who gets out of prison for, I don't know, let me just pick some random crime that somebody might go to prison for. I don't know. How about uh, child sexual abuse? Somebody cuts out of prison for child sexual abuse and they don't want a landlord to be able to say, you can't live here. But if somebody is a Republican, they're like, yes, landlord, you can totally stop that person from renting. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is the standard that they're now setting. And maybe that's why, because it sounds kind of ridiculous, right? But maybe that's why they didn't articulate this argument last night at all. They just voted down the political affiliation portion and, uh, and then just moved on. Talk 1110 and 993 WBT. Pete Callender here and uh, joining me in studio. Hey, he's taking a selfie. Councilman Tark Bokari. <laughs> Good afternoon, Charlie. Okay, you don't have to do that ever again. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I actually have not, so I've not seen you in probably nine years, eight years since I since I left, something like that. And at the time you were I think you were like Tea Party guy, right? You were like... I supported the Tea Party. I think my buddy, our buddy, Matthew Ridenauer, yeah. was the ringleader of a lot of that. And yeah. You were I jumped, of... I've always been my own guy. You know what I mean? I float around. I support things I believe in. I support that. But I wasn't any more that than I'm any more anything else anyone likes to I, That's what I mean. With. Yeah, like, because I wasn't in the Tea Party either. Yeah. But I just remember the rise of that movement. Yeah. And I remember you and a couple of the other... I don't know, young or youngins. The young guns. Right? Yeah, I don't. I, I never like any of those names that mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. that they give to groups of people like that because you are your own person. Everybody is, uh, but you were part of this kind of crew with the young Republicans, right? You guys. Were, I was the Chavez of the young guns, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, uh, and so that's the, probably the last time. And I saw that you had uh, you had run for office. You are now a city councilman. So when? How long have you been a councilman? City council. Well, so two terms to, re- to recap us back in. Ran in 07 in a district. Lost. You were there then. Around there, yeah, probably. Right. In, right. Right. 09. Right. Ran at large. Thought I was going to win. 
lost, and that was the last time a Republican at all was elected. Edwin Peacock at large never happened again beyond that point. Then you were kind of at the time for people in Charlotte who are now here. You're the uh, you're you're the 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 breaking Brett Jensen. You that was you yeah. on the streets back then with us. Times of Tea Party of all those things. Uh, and then there was the great decline, as we call it, the <laughs> ten years of Republicans. You have um, a name simply, for this uh, I, I just made that up oh, right okay. now. The great decline, <laughs> and uh, that's when we, uh, we 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 became less and less. We looked around, and and all of a sudden, people were like, "We're going to Union County," and now here we are. I and so two points on that. Seventeen was when I was elected, though. Sorry to answer the question. To Thank answer you. the actual question. Thank you. I appreciate that. An elected official who actually circled back to answer Circle the question because I had forgotten. Um, so two points on that. You know who Brent. Uh, uh, Brent Woodcox is yeah yeah uh, lawyer up at the General Assembly uh, Republican works for uh, the Republican uh, State Senate uh, leadership and I remember in the last election cycle having a discussion with him on Twitter but it was um, the, the essence of it was my position was that Republicans help to build cities like Charlotte mm-hmm. and when the city gets big enough then Republicans never win any office. It's almost like Democrats come in and they're like, thanks for helping us build this. Now shut up and leave. And Republicans are oftentimes all too happy to leave. They'll say, I don't like this. I don't want my money being spent on these things. And so I'm out. And they take off for the surrounding counties. And you see it everywhere, right? Blue dot, sea of red kind of um, phenomenon. So, and his point was, well, there will be other cities to build. That was his position. I and I don't like either of these arguments, by the way, like I'm not right. I I hate this because and this is why I ended up I got into some arguments with some folks in Asheville because the same thing was happening and has happened there. Buncombe County is now virtually completely controlled by Democrats, not a single Republican on council, not a single Republican left on county commission that isn't grandfathered in and he'll be gone in another year. So. What incentive do Republicans have to take? the effort to build cities when this is the way it ends for them. Because when I advised people in Asheville, look, if you want to be uh, involved in your local government as a limited government guy, you got to find another place to live because like, do you think I would ever get appointed to a, to a city council committee, right? Or, or a public committee, like no, nope. not in Asheville. <laughs> Nobody would put me on that. Council. Not even in Charlotte. I don't anymore. even think in yeah. Charlotte. Yeah. Nope. So, so 10 years I, ago, sure. Right. So if I'm just not on the radio, but if I'm just a citizen, what chance do I actually have of helping to shape government from inside government? If I'm a Republican, why why would I stay? I I think that, well, one, the the, the, I hate that argument deeply. It's made all the time. And it's the go to standard kind of Republican rebuttal that I've heard for the last 10 years, building and building, which is. I moved out of here long ago. I'm going to leave. Like I'm going to. That's my whole like burn the ships mantra from the last year, which is this is this is the front lines of this battle. Like our chairman Michael Watley, who I know you've had on, great dude. He you know he he has now embraced that with me, and we are working on a strategy because the whole point is these are the authoritarian laboratories that they are experimenting last year in on the streets with the BLM protests. That if they go unchecked, this is the exact you know mindset they're using whether it's in the schools with critical race theory or, you know, with Hamas and Israel. I mean, it's all the exact same playbook and they're experimenting with them here. So you can either have a rebuttal here or you can just let them do and control and have whatever they want here. And that is not the right, the right uh, option. So, you know, at the end of the day, I would say, yeah, this is maybe a little glasses half full aspirational to try to defend it and, and be there for it. But 
at the same time, I think they've overplayed their hand in the last year and a half. And it, it just feels different. Like you were playing my good friend, Councilman Braxton Winston's crazy remarks from yesterday, right? <laughs> I could say both of those in the same sentence because I am complex as an individual. But the point is like, it's the same elements that are in critical race theory. That's like that. And, and that po- political affiliation from the NDO yesterday, it calls out that parents uh, that the same upper middle class white females that powered BLM last year are the same group that's powered in the anti you know, uh, school from home or the masks or now critical race theory in the schools. It's just like it, they go overboard and they take it one step too far, which is we are not going to be against all discrimination. We're going to be against discrimination that fits the, the narrative and the objective that we have, and then anything else is what we need our, our, our hands on the scale. And I firmly believe, or at least I have to believe, that, that that's one step too far, and the independents and unaffiliateds that make up the majority of, of the folks that are in Charlotte are going to stand up and say, all right, may, maybe this is too much. But maybe they're not, they're, there are not enough of them left. Well, there's a boatload of unaffiliated. That's the largest yeah. political, like, I mean, it's larger than Republicans unaffiliated. Sure. But how do they break? 60, 40 Republican? <laughs> but is um, that enough? No. I mean, they, they have to they have to completely, like, completely go our way. But that's my point. Under any ner- normal circumstances, that is simply not going to occur. And anyone who talks to you about historical numbers and stats and this is why it doesn't work, yeah, that's true. But I am wagering on the fact that something in the last year, year and a half has dramatically changed and regular normal people that exist in this great democracy, this great ex- experiment, the, the republic that we have, right, that are going to be like, okay, nah, nah that's not cool. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here with Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari. We are, uh, well, he was kind of catching me up on an entire decade's worth of local political news just during the uh, the break. There. Back so, to the future. Yeah, so I'm all caught up now. Thank you. You're um, welcome. <laughs> it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. So uh, please be patient with me, and I appreciate that. So let's talk about this non-discrimination ordinance. The first thing I need to ask you is, did you or did you not... Send a copy of the Young Republicans non-discrimination proposed ordinance to the mayor, the vice mayor, and your colleagues on the Charlotte City Council. You got me. You did not send it. I mean, uh, we launched it out to everyone. Right. The whole point was I'd been asking them for months and months and months to engage us and that I've pulled together a group of young Republicans. Can we work on it together? Can we at least communicate? Can we see your draft? All these things. So part of me is being defensive right now. Like, you know what? Screw it. I launched it. They all saw it. It was in every publication. But in fairness, no, I, you know, I, it wasn't I didn't official, send it. I think is what the I didn't mayor send said. them an official note. Obviously, the observer decided to drill into that aspect of it. Oh, I when didn't, I looked I around, but well, yeah. when I good when I <laughs> when I looked around the room at that point, other than my good dear friend Malcolm Graham, um, it was uh, I, I was like, well, all right, so yeah, all right, I, I didn't send it in a formal email. Did anyone not see it and not read it? I mean, everyone. No, no, had the mayor literally yeah. said, "I saw it on your website." Yeah. So she she acknowledged that she read it, 
She saw it, but she didn't get it officially. Right. So therefore, it doesn't count. That's how we do government here now. Is that- it's it's not. That's. I'm going to be fair though and self-critical for a second. In hindsight, I do wish I had sent the formal note. Then no one could have made that claim of which some folks in town might say, "All right, it's political games." It wasn't. I wish I had done that in hindsight. But I would maintain that point that you're kind of the line you're going down, which is, I know they all saw it. Right. Like let's let's be real. Right. They and even if they hadn't seen it it still merited the same discussion and debate that occurred on every single item that was that was brought up last night right. for the not planned on straw vote that occurred so all right another question i got to ask okay do you not do committees anymore do these types of uh proposals ordinances do they not run through a committee for drafting to narrow down the language hammer out some of the more controversial aspects bring in the stakeholders cuz like i remember again it's been a while but back in my day, back when I was covering a city council, but back in my day, they would run this stuff through committee, and then you would kind of flesh out some of the, you know, the meatier uh, pieces of uh, proposal, and then by the time it gets to council, a lot of that debate has occurred. They can then send it back to a committee. So it, does that not happen anymore? No, it, it, oh it doesn't. God. It doesn't. And I'll tell you what, I, and I heard a little bit of your segment when I, when I was driving up here. And I hadn't really thought of it in the words you said, but you said it so well, which is like, why does the mayor feel the need to repeat every single thing that said? And this has been happening now for years. It's years. kind of it's kind of condescending. Well, it's oh, oh it is it is <laughs> condescending. It's oh, okay. not kind of, but I mean, a lot of people again. And I say I said this kind of in jest, but in reality, where she she plays a bit of a kindly grandma on TV. And a lot of people are like, oh, she's just trying to make sure she understands. Half the time, she doesn't understand exactly what, what is said. And I'm not trying to say that in any derogatory fashion to her. It's just, it's like me and the attorney are looking at each other. Yep, yep. She's like, I don't get it. And, and I don't want to say like, well, it's okay. The attorney and I get it. Right. And that but actually the other did half, happen last night. Exactly. I saw that happen. Exactly. Right. But then the other half, probably more than half though is, and it, you have to just kind of get to know know her and understand her tactics with it. It is a tactic, right? She's very much she is a she is a behind the scenes person who is highly highly intelligent from a political perspective. Kind of makes it seem like oh hey everything's fine I'm figuring out what's going on. But she's very very much controlling the situation. So whether it's kind of repeating and trying to box you in of what's the language or this, so that ultimately she's controlling what the takeaways are or in the Question you ask, committees, committees are very much just a, I mean, they're irrelevant almost right now. Hmm. They, they are things meant to kind of where everyone can have a moment to, to discuss a topic or whatever. But there are many cases in the budget, in, in all, in last year's COVID uh, response, all those things where whatever came out of there, if it was something that the powers that be liked, it was kind of framed up for a vote. And if it wasn't, it magically disappeared. So they're all irrelevant. Did the powers that be want the exemption for the employers of 15 and over 15 employees and over you know what's beautiful about all this is and i will make an exception to this statement i'm about to make my good friend another actual personally good friend of mine larkin eggleston councilman spent a lot of time working on this so i want to make that asterisk up front i don't want to at all seem like he didn't do things he drove a lot of things forward there however there's a big if anyone watched last night which i know you did and was confused, like, wow, is this how it goes? Like, why is this so complicated or confusing? There was two main driving factors. One was the one we just discussed, which was a political undercurrent, which was the Republicans came out with this thing months ago 
We don't want them to get credit. We want it. So we're going to make this kind of like straw votes and this so that ultimately after all this confusion, we're like, what's happening? It's like, well, here's the version They're we trying have. to claim it's ownership exactly. of these That's things that were proposed by you guys first. 100% on that front. So no doubt there. But the second thing, which I think is indicative of us pushing this ball forward a bit, but definitely us expanding the topic from what our young Republicans did in this last eight months was push them to this to this to this sense of they didn't understand what was on the table. Mm-hmm. So you could you can hear it in Malcolm Graham's comments, which is, hey, this is what the Republicans said. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but then I have to go back and explain. No, it's not just lip service or putting something down. A black woman with natural hair could be fired just because of that at a 16-person company, and there is no federal or local recourse in the version that's there. And then he says, no, no, we don't need things or this, and definition of small business, and then he votes for it. So I think there, aside from Larkin and a few others who really did the work, I think there was a mass confusion because no one had actually spent the time, and it was really more of a pandering exercise they put to the side and punted on because they wanted to give themselves raises or extend their terms or just, uh, you know, abolish single family zoning or the other, you know, top hits of 2021. (laughs) One of the uh, examples of the mayor directing the outcomes. And I remember there was a former school board member named Larry Gavro used to talk Mm, about this all the time. The process, if you control the process, then you'll get the result you want, but you got to, you got to know what you want going in and then you constrain the process going in. And, and it, when she said, and the perfect example of this was your colleague, Haley Joel Osmond, I think is the councilman. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, he is there and he's making the argument about the wanting to find businesses that don't comply. And you could tell that the mayor did not want to have anything to do with that. And so she reframes what he is saying. First, she, she takes his comments and then punts the discussion until like half an hour later. Then when they come back to it, he has to kind of go over it again. And then she says, well, we'll come back to this in like another 18 months If you or think so. that is, is accidental, that okay? let me no, tell you what. Not. it is. That is a great indication of yeah. just how politically savvy she is. All right. More with Councilman Tark Bakari. But first, check on the news. Mark Muller. <laughs> news Talk 1110-993-WBT. In studio with me is Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari. Booyah! And so uh, people might be kind of surprised to learn that the young Republicans put out a non-discrimination ordinance proposal months ago. Months. That said, hey, you shouldn't discriminate against all of these protected classes, including transgender people or People who identify as a different gender than that they are assigned with at birth. But like all of these different protected classes, how is that a Republican ideal? How is that in line with Republican principles uh, without like focusing too much on the whole HB2 uh, history here? (laughs) Right, right. Well, I mean, that's so that was the premise we started under over eight months ago. It was I tapped a couple young Republicans that I just knew were were forward thinkers, but were very principled, were were very dedicated. And it was led by Kyle Lubke, who's on the board of the Young Republicans, but is also in the LGBT community, 
which is great. I mean, and that, those are the kind of folks we need to embrace in top 15 size cities like this. And then Maya Palai and Brad Thomas, these are, you know, really, uh, really um, influential and hardworking young Republicans. And I said, you know, let's use our, our, our conservative principles to sit down and see what kind of position we could take. We want to be proactive. We're not getting invited to the table. And at the end of the day, if it keeps going like it always does, the Democrats will do it on their own. They won't involve us. And at the 11th hour, they'll say, here it is. We'll see flawed policy, and then we'll be painted as, oh, they are non-inclusive and heartless and all these things. So we went to work, and we used our principles. And this is both the curse and the power of being a Republican and a conservative. We have to do the work that then puts things through our principle set to see if we can take a position or not, not the position that feels good. So we found one in the first couple working sessions of individual liberty and freedom. We started with smaller government. We started with some other things, but we, we fell on individual liberty. And it was really simple. As we started going through and doing our analysis, we said every human walking around in the United States, every citizen here has a bubble of individual liberty that surrounds them. And that should be protected you know, at all costs. But you have to be careful in that policy, in that protection, that you're not infringing on someone else's bubble. Right. So we used we finally found, all right, this concept of expressive versus standard behavior in the free market economy, in the business economy, in the workforce where. A cake baker is doing expressive behavior. Bake me a cake. I don't have to. I'm infringing on your freedom if I come in there and say, bake me a cake for Pakistani Americans. They're like, I hate you. Well, all right. You can hate me. This is America. Well, on the other hand, though, if I had a standard restaurant with a standard menu that anyone walking in could just choose, I'm not asking you to do anything different. You saying I can't come in there because I'm Pakistani or because I'm gay or because I'm transgender uh, or whatever it may be, you're infringing on my freedoms and rights now. And when you enter the workforce in, and you enter the business economy, you now are living in this other world where you have to fit within the rules of our country and our principles. So. That's how we kind of navigated this part of being able to not just have a non-discrimination ordinance, but to have one that was more expansive than anything any Democrats in the state even had brought forth. But we protected religious liberties very explicitly, showing just as much care there as the other side. We made sure to pay attention to natural hair, again, because a black woman with natural hair could be fired, and this is what we learned in the NDO discussion last night, from a, a company with 15 employees because it's not covered. So we were able to do all of this more expansive, put it out there, and really get the support, not just of many conservative groups and things like that, but of a lot of the LGBT groups, all of those things. So to, to have completely ignored that is a little frustrating, uh, of, of, to say, of my colleagues. So what of the employer, though? You, you mentioned going into you know, buy a cake and bake the cake bigot, like that whole argument. But what of the employer, if, I, you know, wouldn't the conservative limited government principle be, I, you know, if I don't want to hire somebody uh, for whatever reason I want to, it could be whatever reason I want to, could it not? Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to hire them. And so therefore I don't hire them. If you are not in a religious organization, a religious nonprofit, a relig something that is in that space of a religious school, right? That's all protected. That's First Amendment protected. You, that is out of scope of this whole conversation. Right. If I am at the bakery, right, and someone comes in 
And wants I, a job, not wants a, a job, not a cake, but exactly. wants a job. Wants a job, right? I, and and we we really dealt a lot more with terminations, but I think the same would apply on the front end. And I show up every day. There's no cause. I'm a great employee. And all of a sudden, someone says, Tark's Pakistani, American. You know what? Hate those people, right? And then they fire me. And no other reason whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, that's you can't do that, right, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And I, I, I will also, though, say from the smaller government side, the more libertarian-leaning side of me, I really, really th- hope and think that in a day in the future, this kind of thing won't be necessary. But I think today, given where we are in a top 15 size city, it's a reasonable approach. And I think a lot of people kind of fell in that, which is as long as you're not trying to force me to not just just accept, but believe in or support a different lifestyle I don't believe in, as long as we're talking about the bubble of individual liberty that surrounds people, I mean, not only does that seem fair and reasonable to me, but I hope as others around around the, the what is the blowtorch what are you guys, the blowtorch of, uh, of North Carolina that are in more rural areas, yeah. they can hear this. I hope you also understand that operating on the front lines of cities in the top 15 around the country like Charlotte requires me and someone like me to take different approaches. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here for just one more segment. Brett Winterbull will uh, assume the studio. He's on his way up the stairs now. And uh, Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari is with me for uh, this last segment as well. And Hi-yo. so the non-discrimination ordinance, we went through sort of the principles that guided you guys in uh, drafting a Republican version of this that Democrats were like, thanks, but no thanks, and then proceeded to take a whole bunch of straw votes which honestly, like that was the right process to do if you've got all of these different ideas, but um, it should have been done. From, you guys should have known that from the beginning, I would suspect like that would have been a better way to run the meeting is to say, hey, everybody has ideas. Let's throw them all out. Let's do some straw votes and then whichever ones make it through. And honestly, that's just a debate among Democrats. Right. I mean, you guys, it's you and Ed. That's it. Right. Yeah. Ed Driggs. That's it. And then one or two Democrats and the mayor were the ones pushing the strings on this one. So whether it was just thinking they jam it through and realizing they need a straw vote last night or what they will realize quickly next week, which is then having the foregone conclusion done, hearing from the public and then immediately voting on the thing that they had before they heard from them is probably not going to look that well either. No. You, right. So they they should go back whenever they get their input from the public. You should take that back to a committee. And maybe reassess and work it through. If they were real. So why the rush? What's going on? Well, I mean, I think it's a political game at this point where there's a large group of of people in this town that have been wanting to see this happen for a long time that are frustrated that it's been punted so long. And now, you know, as we're approaching an election year and other things like that, there is a deep desire to, you know, to pander and to do things like that. So getting it through, getting it out there so they can say, box checked, good to go. Uh, And then, you know, me and the young Republicans threw a bit of a wild card out there by spending eight months of actual really hard work and conversation to bring this forward. One of the things, and I mentioned this before uh, you joined us in studio, which was the argument being made by your colleague and your friend, you say, uh, Councilman Winston, his argument wanting to include uh, 
criminal background or felony rap sheet status as a protected class, essentially, and saying that America, Charlotte, North Carolina is all systemically racist. So therefore, the Civil Rights Act, when it says race, that also means felons, which I think is a bit racisty, but that's just me. Um, but he wants to kind of shoehorn that protected class status under the category of race. Yet partisan affiliation, I noticed the mayor was very interested in the, how do you define that? And then she mentioned, and I had the audio clip, but we don't have time to play it. But then she says, well, what about Planned Parenthood? <laughs> Which, as you pointed out, well, not a political I ha- party. <laughs> hadn't seen that listed on the MECBOE, but, but I'm going to go back and look. Right. Well, but it is it is a bit of a window into the mind of a Democrat. They do think Planned Parenthood is some sort of partisan affiliation. Well, that's what my first response was. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not a party. But then I, on second thought, I was like, but if I was marching for or against that and I was a Republican or Democrat and that was what my employer said, yeah, you can't do that. And they fired me. But this goes back to that whole punchline, which whether it's political affiliation or expression or all those things, here's here's what I'm praying the independents, the unaffiliateds of Charlotte and of other large cities see as one step too far and is ridiculous. And it's the same underlying premise of critical race theory, of what we heard my friend Braxton Winston talk about with his thing, which is, which is discrimination in some instances is okay. It's literally the argument that Ibram X. Kendi makes past discrimination or present discrimination is acceptable to counter past discrimination. That's exactly right. I mean, it is literally the, the, the thesis of Ibram X. Kendi and, to, and the critical race theory movement today, as well as what's going on on this front in the non-discrimination ordinance, which is no LGBT folks, that's unfair, or natural hair, that's unfair, or even convicted felons, that's unfair. But if you wear a Republican shirt in a Starbucks and they don't serve you or they kick you out, that, that's okay, right? And which is, that's the piece that I'm praying the independents, the unaffiliated, those folks out there who can make a difference, which is we can all sit down and say, guess what? Regardless of whatever it is, discrimination is not okay. One day we'll hopefully be in a world where we don't have to codify it. But for today, making sure that we don't discriminate in all cases is fair. And, and a reasonable approach, and whether that's here or what's happening inside our school systems, anyone who changes that dialogue around to, what, you don't believe in history? Not at all what I'm saying. In fact, I think we should have actual race history, ARH, well, a new is, thing that we bring forward, not an activist movement to then tip the scales in certain directions that the powers want. So that argument, the, oh, you don't want to teach history, that's what's it's a tactic called the Mott and Bailey tactic. Have you ever heard of this, Mott and Bailey? Mm-mm. It is a... A defensible position that everybody agrees with versus a, a, a hard-to-defend position. It's actually modeled, the name comes from uh, uh, medieval, uh, the castle and the, the fields. Oh. So the bailey is the grassy I area have heard of all this, around actually, it. Now you say the, the medieval thing. Yes. Right, and so the mott is the, uh, you know, in the center of the castle would be the thing, the fortification where everybody could run in. So they make this assertion that is very difficult to defend. That would be the bailey. You say this thing, and then when people challenge you on it, here comes the thing in terms of, like, getting invaded. The argument is being invaded. Well, you can't defend that, so you retreat back to, hey, I'm just going to teach history. You can't be against that. And then... That's the fortified position, easier to defend. Then people are like, oh, well, I'm not against that. No one's against that. And then they leave. And then what do you do? You come right back out of the fortress, run out to the Bailey, and begin making those assertions again. Well, that is the kind of Bailey that I'm talking about right there. And I will tell you 
last night, the, the, what burnt me up the most about all of this and the, 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 the political affiliation, the political expression stuff, I mean, for, for them to, to have gone and just explicitly in the same line have said, you know, that doesn't apply. That, mm-hmm. that, we aren't worried about that kind of discrimination. That has to turn light bulbs on for folks that are watching that are saying, well, you know what? I, I marched in the BLM stuff because, you know, I, I, it made sense to me. I, I see these injustices. But now all of a sudden the same folks that are seeing what our school systems are doing and frustrated, they're seeing what, uh, you know, we're doing abolishing single family zoning. And now we're at this point, whether it's critical race theory or we can pick some things to put in NDO, but other things, you know, that they, they don't fit a narrative. Well, those don't matter. That's got to be one step too far. I think, again, you're 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 searching for a population that I'm not sure is actually going to help you. This moderate population, this liberal population, you're making an appeal to them to weigh in on your behalf because you recognize politically you're not strong enough as a party right, to win the day. So you need some of some people of good faith and honesty to see the logic and the the ethical position that you are espousing. The problem is, is that even if those people exist, historically speaking, they never move off of that. I position. totally agree. And, that, and I have this debate with friends all the time, conservative friends, and they say that's that historical argument. I can't argue it. But how do you explain in the last year and a half the same? And again, the demographic, while it's many different things, is largely comprised of upper to middle class white women with families they powered the the BLM marches and movements last summer, and now that same group, in a lot of cases, is powering the anti CRT in our schools. The anti, um, you but know, they're also powering the other side of that. Well, but so my exactly, but my point is, what was in that in that time frame was one step too many taken. So maybe, and maybe it goes to the uh, the axiom that you'll never be woke enough. And at some point, they eat their own. So maybe that's it. Uh, hey, I enjoyed it. Thanks for coming in. Indeed. I appreciate it. The first in-studio guest I've had. Woo-woo. Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bukhari. Brett Winterbull up next. Stay tuned on News Talk 1110-993-WBT.